Welcome to AEM Early Access, a collaboration between Brown University Emergency Medicine and the editors of the Academic Emergency Medicine Journal. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and here's what we've got for you today. One of the very hot topics in pre-hospital medicine in the last few years has been in the topic of -of out-of-hospital cardiac arrest and whether the advanced interventions we once thought of as routine were actually helping anyone survive. Today we're talking about a paper recently published in Academic Emergency Medicine entitled Outcomes with the Use of Bag Valve Mask Ventilation During Out-of-Hospital Cardiac Arrest in the Pragmatic Airway Resuscitation Trial. First author, Dr. Joshua Lupton, MD, MPH, is here to discuss it with us. Dr. Lupton is a third-year resident in emergency medicine at Oregon Health and Science University in Portland, Oregon. He'll be starting a research fellowship there next year, continuing his work surrounding cardiac arrest. He also has a pretty compelling reason to be so very interested in this topic. Don't forget that you can get the full text of this article through our blog at brownemblog.com, open access through the month of May 2020. Dr. Lupton, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It's great to have you with us. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So you are a third-year resident at OHSU in Portland. You're getting ready to graduate, it sounds like. Um, But before we get started, just tell me how you became involved in this particular project and what your research interests are. Yeah, so I had always been interested in research during medical school. Now I focus more on cardiac arrest, kind of resuscitation science research. And for me, the kind of shift in my interest was pretty personal. During the third year of medical school, while on clinical rotations, I did a half marathon and suffered an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest during that time. Wow. And I uh, was treated over, this is back in Maryland, uh, actually at, flown to Johns Hopkins where I was a student and spent four days in ICU there and fortunately made a full recovery and since then have kind of pursued cardiac arrest resuscitation research in addition to emergency medicine as my academic interests. So a big part of kind of coming over to OHSU is that they've been involved in a lot of different randomized trials for cardiac arrest research, one of which was this PART trial or the Pragmatic Airway Resuscitation Trial. And shortly after starting here, I kind of approached the group and suggested some secondary analyses around the time that their primary data collection had ended. And they were fortunate enough to accept a few of them. And this is kind of the second in that group to go to publication. So I've been fortunate to have some great mentors here and excited to keep doing some research. Wow, that that makes this much more personal. That's that is an amazing story. And we're so glad that you're here to do this research and to talk about it. So um so let's get into the the study a little bit. So this study is a secondary analysis of data from the pragmatic airway resuscitation trial or part. So can you just first tell us about part and the original objectives of that trial? Yeah, so part was designed in uh in a large way to get at the question of what is the best airway for a patient in cardiac arrest, particularly in out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. And so the two different options for more advanced airways would be a supraglottic airway or endotracheal intubation. And the PART study looked specifically at a king laryngeal tube as a supraglottic airway, comparing it to endotracheal intubation with the goal of determining the effect on survival. 
They chose 72-hour survival because in part it was a uh, pragmatic trial. And so that was the outcome that was kind of most proximal and that they felt they could determine if there was a significant effect, but they certainly looked at survival to discharge, neurologically intact survival. And it was cluster randomized. And so there were a total of about uh, 27 different EMS agencies in 13 different clusters across five sites. Each cluster had uh, kind of a crossover where they would be randomized to the supraglottic airway or to the endotracheal intubation. And at the conclusion of the trial, the results were essentially showing a significant survival benefit, not just at 72 hours, but also to discharge and neurologically intact survival for the king laryngeal tube compared to endotracheal intubation. So with this secondary analysis, what specific questions were you hoping to answer in, in your paper? So the goal was to look at the subset of patients in parts that did not receive an advanced airway. And so these are a group of patients in a trial looking at how advanced airways would affect survival. And for some reason, the paramedic or EMS crew did not place an advanced airway. And so part of it was to better characterize uh, what was going on with those patients. And so looking at their ratio of kind of shockable rhythms, were their rests more or less likely to be witnessed by bystanders or EMS? Were they more likely to be at home or have an unwitnessed arrest at home compared to out in public? And then a, a, another, I guess, goal was to look at how when controlling for those, those that received bag valve mask only uh, had what their outcomes were compared to those that did get an advanced airway. Because there had been some published observational studies in the U.S. suggesting that perhaps bag valve mask as a strategy was superior to advanced airway placement. And that certainly was unexpected for many people when that first started coming out. Um, so, so to get back to that, set the stage for those of us who may not be as familiar with the previous research uh, that you were just alluding to. Before your paper, what had previously been published about this question that keeps coming back on how to best manage pre-hospital airways in cardiac arrest? Yeah, so I think there's kind of four big strategies of managing a pre-hospital airway. And so one of which is to do essentially nothing, and that's kind of the the evolution of bystander compression-only CPR, where you're not focused on the airway, you're doing compressions. The other is bag valve mask, typically done by like a BLS or ALS uh, EMS crew uh, in kind of coordination with chest compressions. And then the more advanced airways are these supraglottic airways like the king laryngeal tube used in part or endotracheal intubation. And there had been two prior, including part, randomized trials showing either no difference or slight improvement in survival to the supraglottic airway compared to endotracheal intubation. When looking at how bag valve mass compared, there have been a multitude of observational studies, uh, which is similar to the study here, that have looked at the comparison of bag valve mask only to both supraglottic airways and endotracheal intubation. And what they found was, in the United States at least, a consistently improved survival for the group that received bag valve mask only when trying to adjust for all the confounders they can think of compared to these advanced airways. Now, there's been one randomized trial in Europe looking at bag valve mask compared to endotracheal intubation, and they showed essentially no evidence for inferiority between bag valve mask compared to endotracheal intubation, so essentially no clear significant differences between the two. Though in Europe, their EMS system is a bit different, and typically physicians will be involved in pre-hospital intubation, and their kind of first-pass success can be somewhat higher than in the United States. 
Great. So you were looking now at the same primary and secondary outcomes as the original part trial, which were a 72-hour, sorry, 72-hour survival after out-of-hospital cardiac arrest and secondary outcomes of ROSC, survival to discharge, and favorable neurologic status at discharge. And then for this one, you added the complication of pulmonary aspiration based on chest x-ray of admitted patients. So, so just tell us a little more briefly about your methods and your data analysis here. Yeah, so we used kind of two different dependent groups in our analysis. So one was the BVM-only group, and the other was this unique group that had not been looked at, at least in all of the U.S. data that we had seen, which was those that received bag valve mask only even though they had an attempt in an advanced airway placement, but for some reason the advanced airway failed. And so we kind of characterize this as a BVM rescue group, distinct from the BVM only group where there was never an attempt for an advanced airway. So those were our dependent groups. Our outcomes you kind of already alluded to were the main 72-hour primary outcome from PART and then secondary outcomes of ROSC, survival to discharge, and neurologically intact survival. And then our adjusting kind of covariates were age, sex, initial rhythm, bystander CPR status, witness status, whether EMS or bystander, and then randomization cluster, as well as if the first crew responding was an ALS crew versus a BLS crew. And what we essentially did was a multivariable analysis um, using to generalize mixed effects model. And the goal was to see how these dependent variables compared to, which would be BVM only or BVM rescue, um, compared to advanced airway placement in terms of outcomes of 72-hour survival, ROSC, all those things that I mentioned. And so the hypothesis was that perhaps BVM only, as had been shown before, even when adjusting for confounders, would be associated with an improved survival or improved outcomes. And then I think for the BVM rescue group, the thought was that that would be a more similar group to those that had an advanced airway placed, so that perhaps there would be less confounders, because again, this is a secondary analysis. And we didn't really know what to expect from that group. I think the hypothesis going in was that if you attempted to place an advanced airway and you failed, and then you had to use BVM only as a backup, that would likely have um, you know worse outcomes, potentially, you can imagine, than if it was successfully placed. Right. So so you had 3,004, 3, I believe, patients in, enrolled originally in part uh, with groups of 352 that received bag valve mask ventilation only. And then 189 that had BVM after a failed airway attempt, like we were just talking about. And then 2,463 with a successful advanced airway place, meaning, as you said, endotracheal intubation or a supraglottic airway device. So um, just before we get into the media results, one question I have was of the patients in that bag valve mask only cohort, it looked like EMS cited specific reasons for not even attempting an advanced airway in 273 of those. So so what were those reasons? And in particular, how did you consider the most common, the most common reason um, in your data interpretation? Because it sort of skews how we think about this, unless you control for it, I think. Yeah, so there's, uh, you know, in a significant enough proportion, there were reasons cited, which was good, I would say. Um, in terms of the most common reason, it was the return of spontaneous circulation. That was about 28% of those among the group citing a reason why they didn't place an advanced airway. And so presumably that's because they had pulses back and the patient was doing well, we could assume, and thus didn't need an advanced airway placed. And then the next highest grouping were those that were determined to be um, essentially had passed to a degree that they didn't feel resuscitation was going to be helpful. And so that was like obviously dead 
prior to an advanced airway attempt. And that was about 16%. And so you kind of have the two ends of the extreme of how this could bias your data and those that are clearly doing better than the rest of the cohort, perhaps, and those that are clearly doing worse than the rest of the cohort, perhaps. So our thought was um, to address this in a multivariable analysis by including things like bystander CPR status, uh, the dispatch to arrival time, which I may not have mentioned before that we controlled for, and as well as uh, initial presenting rhythm and where their arrest was located. Because all of those things were found in our kind of unadjusted look at the data to be higher, meaning like higher proportion of shock of rhythms and those that were bagged, higher proportion of arrests that were witnessed, higher proportion of bystander CPR. So our hope was by controlling for those, we would in some ways control for that higher proportion of early ROSC. The risk for uh, controlling directly for obtaining ROSC kind of rapidly would be that that may be on the causal pathway to your outcome of the outcome of interest. And so, you know, certainly on the causal pathway of survival would be ROSC at some point. And if we're trying to see if bag valve mask results in greater survival, controlling for ROSC may confound that. We did do a kind of I guess, sensitivity analysis where we excluded the group that had early ROSC and the group that was obviously dead prior to arrival. That really decreased the number of kind of subjects we had for comparison. So we didn't include it in this overall analysis, but it didn't, you know, that drastically change, I guess you would say, the, the proportion of um, outcomes for those receiving bag valve mass ventilation. All right. So let's talk about those outcomes. Let's talk about your results. Um, so can you summarize your findings for us? Yeah, so essentially what we found in the BVM-only group after multivariable kind of adjustments, as I mentioned, there were still significant improvements in 72-hour survival um, in terms of the odds ratio for survival, the odds for survival to hospital discharge, and the odds for neurologically intact survival. And this is kind of consistent with the published literature before that I had mentioned throughout the United States. Uh, the odds range from about a, a two-fold greater odds ratio for 72-hour survival up to a six- to seven-fold greater odds ratio for neurologically intact survival with a BVM-only strategy. Now, of course, there's all these limitations which we can talk about, but I think the interesting part was looking at the BVM rescue group. Now, the BVM rescue group had a fewer number of patients, but in comparison to their baseline characteristics to those receiving an advanced airway were much more similar than the BVM-only group, meaning they had similar rates of bystander CPR. They had similar rates of witness arrest. They had similar rates of location of arrest being at home versus um, out in public. Mm. And so what we found was despite those, similar, uh, those similarities, the group that got BVM as a rescue strategy had similar ROSC rates, similar odds for 72-hour survival, and greater odds to survival to hospital discharge at about two, and actually greater odds for neurologically intact survival. Now, certainly the confidence intervals are wide and it's low numbers, but the suggestion was that perhaps there was a trend to improved kind of long-term outcomes or improved neurologically intact outcomes for the BVM rescue group, perhaps lending a little bit of support that back valve mask ventilation may truly convey some intrinsic benefit to the patient that is not present with an advanced airway. Now, we talked about previous research. So did any of your findings surprise you? Is this what you were expecting or hoping? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I think this was probably the surprising surprising finding was that uh, certainly one would imagine if bag valve mask was intrinsically better and we knew that, but you still attempted to place an advanced airway, you would think even in that scenario, the group that would fail those attempts would have worse outcomes. So I think it was 
somewhat surprising. Mm-hmm. That being said, I think the hypothesis for why doing bag valve mask as a strategy is better, which is that it may decrease hyperventilation and decrease some of these um, negative impact things that can happen when an advanced airway is placed. Mm-hmm. Um, it does make sense, perhaps, that you know continuing to bag a patient even after failing attempts at an advanced airway could convey those benefits of not hyperventilating, for instance, that uh, may result in these improved outcomes. So still surprising. It's easy to think of a hypothesis for why this could be the case, but I think really future studies are needed before you can kind of confirm if this is just, uh, you know, by a chance or, or actually consistent with what's happening. So let's highlight some of the limitations that you talk about in your paper. What would you think it was, would be important to mention? I mean, I think the biggest thing is to be clear that though this is a secondary analysis of a randomized trial, this is certainly not an analysis of randomized interventions, meaning the group that got back valve mass ventilation, whether as an initial strategy and even the group that got it as a rescue, they're not the same as the group that got advanced airways placed. Um, They weren't randomized to those interventions, and so it's difficult to make uh, assumptions, and you can be a little bit less confident with it. And that's because there may be unmeasured compounders that we can't entirely uh, look at. You know, I think the biggest question is those that got BVM rescue, did they just wake up and that's why the advanced airway failed because they were coughing or doing something that would kind of convey a better outcome. We are a little bit more confident that that may not be the case because those that got BVM rescue had a greater number of attempts than those that had a successful airway place. But that being said, it still remains one of the big kind of confounders. And I think lastly, we don't have data on the ventilation kind of characteristics. So we don't know if patients were hyperventilated or not, or we don't know if there were um, kind of other changes relative to the airway strategy that would kind of support what our conclusions are. So I think there's, you know, a high list of limitations anytime there's a secondary analysis um, and our study is no exception. So what study would you like to see come next in terms of um, maybe helping us settle this question in a real practical way? Yeah, I mean, I think the only way to you know, fully settle the question would be by doing another kind of randomized trial, and one of which bag valve mask was an arm similar to supraglottic airways and endotracheal intubation. And I think in part that's uh, going to be necessary across the board because, you know, the original part study used King lingual tubes and many places have shifted to different types of supraglottic airways, ones like the iGel company makes or things that are a little bit different than what was used in this trial. And in a similar way, EMS crews in different areas are now switching to more advanced endotracheal intubation techniques like video and uh, assisted. And so I think in the future, the, the goal or how this study should be interpreted is that it should be used as uh, more support for an argument that when a future trial is designed to reassess how uh, airway strategies affect outcomes, bag valve masks should sort of be included as a randomization arm in that group. And in doing so, hopefully they can record better ventilation characteristics, showing kind of rate and tidal volume and, and get kind of the data that would be necessary to determine why this unusual finding might be the case. All right. Well, thank you so much um, for coming to talk to us about this paper. I'm excited to hear about what comes next from you, and I wish you well. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this month's AEM Early Access. The full text of this article is available on our blog at brownemblog.com, open access for a limited time. 
Check out all of our podcasts on iTunes. Search for AEM Early Access, all one word. Today's music is by Scott Holmes. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>